This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Joining us now is our friend Kyle Fredrickson for the Denver Gazette. You can follow him on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it. Kyle Fredrickson. It's uh, Fred Fredrickson, F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, not Fred Derbrickson. Fredrickson, easy enough to spell. Kyle, thanks for, for joining us. The Avs are back at camp. The uh, the, the news, of course, twofold. None of, neither of them knew, but our first opportunity to really hear from them, Gabe Landeskog available uh, to talk to the press, was at uh, all basically sat at the, the, the table at a lot of the time. We know he will be out for the year. We know that Jared Bednar is not interested in naming another captain. The reaction to that and the idea that uh, whether it's Kale McCarr's rather thoughtful response to Valerian Dachushkin's absence in the playoffs and how it might have affected them, or... Nathan McKinnon's basically full-throated welcome back with open arms. To my mind, those were the two biggest things coming away from this that didn't involve the players. With, with those two, with that loss and that, I guess, uh, regain, how did you get a feel for how the Avs looked as an organization before they hit the ice? Yeah, that is a, a very good big-picture question to get us going here <laughs> because those are two massive albatrosses in the room right um whether or not the avs are stanley cup champs again depends on whether their captain ever comes back to play and 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 just how well he does play and also just sort of what the actual fallout is um from this nachushkin situation because from your point talking to everyone in that room um it's pretty clear that everyone's on the same page in terms of what to say but in terms of how val performs and how this chemistry uh, is potentially affected by all this. I mean, we're just going to have to wait and, and see how it plays out. But I'll start with Gabe just because that's a, a rosier topic. And, and it was good to, to hear from him just because of the positivity. And I don't think that surprised anyone, right, knowing Gabe and, and the role he plays in this team. And even the way he spoke about this surgery right before he had it, there's really this unwavering belief that he's going to play again. Um, and whether or not that's realistic isn't for me to decide, you know, I'll let the surgeons figure that one out. But, you know, you have to have that kind of mindset. If you're going to try to come back from, you know, having literal cartilage, you know, transplanted into your knee. So um, in terms of the medical stuff, you know, there's going to be a six month checkup coming in early November. Yes. So I was going to ask you about that. How important is that? I I think that's a, a huge step in all of this because, when you're looking at the time frame of recovery from this injury, from the people I spoke to, uh, you know, back when we learned exactly what happened, um, it's at least a year. And that's just for the, you know, everyday Joe who, um, you know, is having major knee surgery because he, you know, fell off a ladder in his backyard. But we're talking about Gabe Landeskog, an elite athlete. So in some sense, this feels like a bit of a halfway point, um, you know, in terms of what the abs are going to tell us or how much Landeskog uh, is going to be available to say uh, how that goes um, is yet to be seen. You know, we'll certainly ask about it. But to me, I think that's going to really reframe this conversation of, okay, is this a guy who's maybe available for the postseason? Or it's a situation where we say, oh, wow, you know, we, we still have a lot of work to do here. Uh, this is going to have to, you know, be benched in, until at least next year in terms of, you know, being real realistic about when Gabe returns to play. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so, so I can't give too much more context beyond that. 
Um, but, you know, like I mentioned before, I think it, it's notable to me um, that Gabe has that mindset. And also, you know, that Jared Bednar essentially said, hey, we got a good review from Gabe on how things are going, so we don't want to take away his captaincy. So, you know, those are really good signs in terms of how the organization as a whole is approaching this and, and, and having that confidence. Um, but it, it's sort of a prerequisite. You know, it's, it's really all dependent on how his body responds uh, and how that knee looks, uh, you know, in a month or two when they reexamine it. Uh, and Val, I mean, it's, it's a can of worms. I'll let you guys kind of give your take before I jump in. Did, well, I, I was just going to ask you. Did, did you feel like there's any more clarity? I, I, I don't. Uh, and that was going to be my question to you. Uh, Sean mentioned it. Uh, when I, you two are too young to remember Welcome Back Cotter. Uh, but I, I thought of the Welcome Back Cotter theme when I read Nathan McKinnon's uh, quote, welcome back, welcome back, man, you know, we love you. Uh, uh, and then Kale McCarr saying what happened happened. It's a tough circumstance, obviously. You have a group of guys going into the playoffs, a super tight-knit group, and then something like that happens. That was quite candid. And everybody just kind of all their minds go astray. Um, right. I thought maybe we were being a little harsh in saying that a big reason, if not the only reason the avalanche lost that series was due to irresponsible behavior, whatever it was on the part of Val Nachushkin. But that's kind of what Makar is saying that it, right. that it distracted everybody. It's a tight knit group. And part of that tight knit group was torn away from them by his own act of irresponsibility. And I guess my question to you would be, uh, are we ever going to know what that act of irresponsibility consists of? You know, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's going to follow Nachushkin's career, whether he likes it or not. You know, today, you know, he told us, you know, we're, I'm going to close the chapter on this. Um, you know, it's a new season. He's never I don't opened it. Talk about- <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, but but that, to your point, that that's not how this works. And and you know, some people might see this as the media being overbearing and 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 trying to dig into someone's personal life. But like we spoke about so many months ago, this is a product of just the Avalanche's strategy. And and you know, to Kel McCarr's credit, that's the most candid and mm-hmm. honest answer that we've heard in this entire By saga far. about By what happened. Far. Right. Right, because it, it wasn't something that was coached to him. It, you could sort of see him in the moment being careful about what he said and, 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 you know, just sort of repeating himself to avoid, you know, any kind of big quotable headline that would come out of that. But it is very telling to me that a, you know, a leader on the team, a guy who wears the A, is going to say that our heads weren't in the right place because of what happened with Val. So, you know, it can be debated on the seriousness of what took place in that hotel room. I do tend to think that if Seattle police had a legitimate concern mm-hmm. that Valton Chushkin committed a crime, that at the very least he would have been interviewed. Uh, from what I can tell, that's never even happened. Uh, of course, he's never been, he was not interviewed in the initial report because it appears that he had already left by the time the police got there. You can read between the lines in terms of how that all happened and, and whether that was right. But but at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, let the, the justice system take care of itself in that sense. If there wasn't a crime committed, 
you know, there is a little bit of no harm, no foul from my perspective. Granted, the Avalanche do not look good at the end of the day in all of this, and it really shows their true colors that they're more concerned about their image than they are about the well-being of a young woman who was severely intoxicated in the room of one of their star players in the middle of the afternoon before a huge playoff game. It just doesn't really line up with reality and, and, and sort of how they've handled the situation. And it's also... I wasn't... Well, part of I, and just, yeah. just to say, and I wasn't stunned with Nishushkin today. He was very short and brief, but I was also disappointed that they didn't put him up at the podium, that they exactly. didn't make him talk for, for exactly. five minutes. Instead, it was four or five questions, and then the moment there was one little tiny awkward silence, it was, all right, guys, that's it. Uh, we're done here. So it was a tough situation all the way around, and for anyone who wants to complain about the coverage of it or sort of our scrutiny, just remember that the Avalanche could make so much of this go away if they took a just more real approach to what's happening. And I, I think what you, you've explained there, Kyle, is really good. Because over the summer, Bill Daly, who's the deputy commissioner of the NHL, said specifically, and this is his quote, we know exactly what happened and we think it was handled appropriately by them. And they were referring to the Avalanche. That was his quote. We know exactly what happened. I, I think your point is, is very good. Whatever happened apparently did not rise to a level of criminality, because you're right, there would have been plenty of opportunities to take a look at that, but the problem is it does seem to be at the minimum unseemly, and then the avalanche find themselves in a spot where looking as if they're trying to make sure that that just sort of goes away. Bradley Changstrom, the doctor who was with the team at the time, who made that 911 call, is no longer with the team, and nobody would necessarily discuss why that's the case. So, you know, it, it... whether that's actually what's happening or not, the optics was the team or the league or whatever is protecting their own, and anyone who, oh, who made a mistake and challenged that uh, is no up. longer with the team. You know, this yeah. is just how it's going to go. And if it didn't rise to a level of criminality, then I don't understand why there wouldn't be any reason to address it. And the Chushkin said it was a family matter, just move along. As far as we know, the woman in his room was not related to him in any way, shape, or form. Right, right. And and just to piggyback on that, you know, the press is sympathetic if you give us a reason to, to be, be sympathetic. So. Right. And 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 the way that Nichushkin's teammates speak about what happened, there is this sympathy of we're here for him, we care about him, he's a good person, but we just don't have anything to go off of other than a police report where Nichushkin does not look like a sympathetic figure he does not so if it it was a family issue even if he doesn't want to speak about it at length any bit of context here is is all that's needed to make so much of this go away and you know for me i i I don't have a ton of sympathy myself for nachushkin just because yes there's a language barrier he was incredibly nervous today but he's a professional athlete who's making six plus million dollars a year and talking to us is, is part of the job. And it's just unfortunate that the Avs don't see it that way. And there's no real media training that I can see that's had any effect on him to make him an effective communicator to the press as a star player of this team. And I just think that's really unfortunate. I think it's a trickle-down effect of years of a culture at the Avs of being tight-lipped and secretive over being truthful um, and I just think in the internet age, it's, it's unfortunate that a, a team would still operate in that way. And, and very quickly, uh, I don't pretend to know Val Nichushkin at all. I've never had a conversation with him. But I have had conversations with people who have been around him, and he expresses himself 
perfectly clearly. Oh, absolutely. For sure. So right. it, it, it is it, a bit, a bit language of a barrier. That's a red right. herring. Right. Absolutely. And I would agree with that. And, you know, I, I have written one pretty lengthy story about Val where he did mm-hmm. talk to me one-on-one for five minutes or so, and, and he was great. And, you know, I, and I made sure to let the avalanche know, hey, this, this guy's good. You know, let, let him be himself. And, you know, I don't know if, if, if that's the, the reason for some of the issues with him not talking, but, you know, I would hope that, if anything, this would give him a little reason to, to try to make people like him and, and, and show his personality in an authentic way, um, you know, where he realizes we're not trying to, to do him wrong. We're just trying to do our jobs. He is Kyle Fredrickson from the Denver Gazette. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Fredrickson. That's F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. And uh, that, that story, by the way, written in April, and Achushkin is pinned to the top of his profile, so you can easily go check that out. But let's, let's look on the ice, where Nachushkin was with the second group of Ryan Johansson and Arturi Lekkanen, the other line, presumably in that, that second group, that would be a, a line if they were to play a regular season game today. Ben Myers centering Cogliano and Logan O'Connor. The second uh, line of group one would be Ross Colton centering Miles Wood and Thomas Tatar, the late addition. And uh, Jonathan Drouin, as, as presumed, was on the top line with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. Uh, is that where, do you expect much movement? Is there anybody that you think could break in and, and actually shake up those lines, or is that pretty much what we're looking at? The defense, I know, is a little different because Kale McCarr is, is still dealing with a lower body injury. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really solid starting point of on paper where I think this team wants those players to slot in. But even you know Jared today was was sort of asked like, hey, did you learn anything about chemistry between players today? Were, were there some connections you were seeing? And he kind of laughed. He's like, nope, there's way too much practice ahead, way too many games. You know, there's going to be movement with these guys. We got to you know see what works and see what doesn't. But I think that's the beauty of these additions that they've made. You know, to a guy, all of the the players they've brought in are kind of the switch army knife style forward who can slot up and down the lineup. Guys with center experience, who do, but also don't mind playing wing. And they're also a lot more physical than that group who, who, who you know they're replacing. And so just looking down the list, I mean, you know, JT Comper's gone, Lars Eller, Matt Nieto, Dennis Malgin, Evan Rodriguez. That's a solid group, but you know the guys that they've, they've been replaced with, to me, look like they're Betty, better penalty killers. There's championship experience there with Ross Colton in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know Ryan Johansson. I think there's the biggest question mark there of him being that legit number two center. It sure. sure seems like Bednar sure. wants him to be that guy. But among all these players, and, and the guy I'm most fascinated to see if this works is, is Jonathan Druin, obviously on the top <laughs> line. I mean, if, yeah. if he becomes a legit player who deserves to play alongside Nathan McKinnon and, and, and Rantman or whoever they put up there, you know, Chris McFarland's going to win GM of the year for, for that move alone. You know, it, it just makes so much sense on paper with the history and, and, and chemistry that he has with Nathan McKinnon and exactly what the Avs need, which is another big time goal scorer, you know, in that mold of, of what they think, you know, Drew and can be. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't get too caught up, you know, in terms of where they're playing at the moment. But like I said, it's the versatility of those players, which I think that should have the Avalanche, you know, faithful so excited. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you about uh, Makar. Um, we spoke glowingly about him uh, a second ago uh, for uh, what he said in relation to the uh, Val Nashushkin matter. But injuries have been. Uh, as McCarr has put it, lingering 
throughout the offseason. He isn't ready to go at the start of camp. If there is a level of concern on that, what would it be in your mind? You know, I would put it somewhere between medium and low concern. Um, It's not great when your star player and generational talent, you know, you know, said that his is the first summer he's ever had where he just had to get himself right just to right. play. Right. Um, but it's a product of how much they leaned on him, right? It's a product of what last year was. It was concussion protocols and lower body injuries and you bet. in and out for a car. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's totally unexpected. Um, but I do think there is a level of just maturation on his part of not being a guy who's going to try to tough through something. You, you know, I think some of that lingering stuff, uh, from even from last year with Makar playing was just him trying to you know be the every man and, and, and battle through it. And there's this culture in hockey where you know we sort of applaud these guys for playing hurt to a certain degree, and it's, it's sort of insane. But I, I think it's smart, you know, for for him to basically take it as slow as possible entering the season. You know, from what I know, there's no real concern that he won't be 100% by October 11th. You know, when when they're actually yeah. playing games that matter. And with Makar, I don't think there's any concern about, hey, he needs some time to, to get ready before the season. You know, maybe there's a little bit of a ramp up then for, for him in terms of the, the, the quality of his play and how much offense he's creating. But this is Kale Makar. You know, they, he's such an asset to this team. They've got to think about the future. Um, you know, I don't see it being a, an issue down the road, but it, it really is just a reminder uh, of what he went through last season and, and, and what it takes to be ready because, you know, he's got to be a, a really 100% when he gets back on the ice, and, and, and that's going to eliminate some of those, you know, little injuries that, that can knock you out. He is Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette. Make sure you give him a follow because the Avalanche, by the way, uh, preseason starts on Sunday. They have another game on Monday. They have three games next week that gets going quick, and so the Avalanche, you want to pay attention to it because they do look prime despite the loss of Gabe Landeskog. For a bounce back season, I agree with your breakdown of the, the players they've added. They seem to have been able to do a little bit more after moving Landeskog to that LTIR with the money to make sure that they've added pieces that all fit together. Pretty fascinating group. Thanks so much, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, Kyle Fredrickson joining us. Uh, the Avs get moving pretty quickly. And uh, the situation with the Avs, we, talk, we heard about that really openness by Kale McCarr to talk about how the mindset for the avalanche changed. And it's just another illustration, Sandy, of how much mindset in sports makes a difference. Well, it does. And I think it's pretty clear. Kyle all but said it. Uh, Kale McCarr played hurt during the playoffs last year and might've even played injured, you know, in, in a situation where had it been the regular season, he never would have played in any of those games. Uh, he was trying to get back for the playoffs. He played in all seven games, but, we both have watched Kale McCarr very closely. Um, he played he didn't, he didn't for right. uh, a coach uh, in college uh, who was at one time the head coach at St. Lawrence University, a program I still follow. That's my alma mater. Um, I I followed Kale McCarr rather closely uh, in in college, and I know how great a player he is, and you do too, and he wasn't that player uh, during the playoffs or at really I don't think much of any time after March uh, from April through May the, the last two months basically of the season he wasn't he wasn't Kale McCarr so uh, in any case uh, the Avalanche have their share of superstars certainly and 
it's probably to be assumed that they'll be healthier uh, than they were last year, but we will have to see all that. There is no question, though, about uh, how much your mental health can be improved through association with Dr. Rick Perea. I've known uh, performance psychologist Rick Perea for a decade plus now. He's the best in the business. You get your checkup from the neck up from Dr. Rick Perea every Monday here on Mile High Sports at 5 p.m. And you know, of course, by now that uh, he was the psychologist, the world champion Denver Broncos in 2015. He worked with the Colorado Rockies immediately in advance of their uh, trips to the playoffs in 2017 and 2018. And, of course, he worked with the world champion Denver Nuggets. Dr. P also helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. Whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look them up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's Dr. P at think1for u.org. We will take a look at the Denver Broncos, turn our attention back to a must-win game. I know it's still September, but the Broncos are a must-win game, and the problem is it's pretty hard to imagine how they will win it. The numbers are bleak. (laughs) We will share more of them with you next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Football season's upon us, and you know, you can do what everyone else does and bet with all the big boys this football season, but why do that? Instead, try and hand it with the local book. That's Superbook Sports. Do that this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager. On the same day, and use the promo code Mile High. So bet with the best and use promo code Mile High this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Sandy, we talked a little bit about some of this earlier. We talked about the the particular challenge for the Broncos. In uh, there's no other way to put it. It's a must win game. Look, the odds on making the playoffs zero and two are long. The odds on making zero and two and you've already blown two of your home games they're long. The odds for zero and three teams. They, uh, well, they're, suffice to say, they're a lot longer, but they're, they're basically, there's no reason to even calculate them. And this is maybe worth calculating because we looked at the, the, you know, ex- we could do that. Yeah, we could. We could. And it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's a low number. You're not going to like it, Broncos fans. 0 and 3, by the way, since 2002. Okay. 99 teams started 0 and 3. Easy to remember. Yeah. Right? 99. The 18 Houston Texans made the playoffs. One out of 99? So you're saying there's a chance. One, that's, if you want to know what the odds are, since the current National Football League, 32 teams, 8-4 team division. Yeah, that chance is 1%. You've got one team. (laughs) One. 
And that was Houston in 2018 that started 0-3 and made the playoffs out of 99. So there you have it. One. One? Okay. One so team. You can't go One. 0-3 realistically. Here's the problem. Now, we talked about expected points added. And I went back and looked at the yep. uh, the, the teams, Miami and Denver. And, and keep in mind, the nice thing about this is it basically just breaks down essentially points per play, right? Easy enough. So, when the Miami offense faces the Denver defense, we already talked about that a lot. Miami's number one in play, EPA per play, 0.26. Denver's yep. 31st in defense. What that right. means, basically means, get this, and the beauty of this whole idea is you can add and subtract it. Get an idea, right? So, on average, when Denver's played defense in Miami's past, if that were to hold up, every play that the Miami Dolphins runs would be worth 0.46 of a point, or roughly half. That's almost half a point. Per play. Now, when they pass, it's even worse. Yes. Because Miami, they're, they're number one in per play. Well, they're number one yeah. in per pass, and the Broncos are right. slightly better at 29th instead of 31st, but the gap is even larger. The gap, Sandy, every time for pass is 0.79. Right. Every pass attempt is eight-tenths of a point. Now, Miami could run, and there's the advantage for Denver. Miami, 25th on the ground, despite Raheem Mostert managing 121 last yeah, week. Yeah, but uh, you know what? Uh, and Denver, Mostert 15th. can catch the ball yeah, coming can. out of the backfield. They, they're, the their passes. backs are generally better receivers. But the, the ball rush, at least, on average, would be a minus .12 per to Denver's favor. Okay, yeah. so... Yeah. Uh, Miami's incentivized to keep it through the air, obviously, yes. a little bit. But then you look at it, how can Denver combat it? So, we'll go on the passing game. Or well, let's look at overall, right? Denver's EPA per play is actually quite good. They're eighth in the league. And Miami, the defense isn't all that good, 23rd. So, right. you're thinking, okay, uh, that, that advantage was .46 per play for Miami. For Denver, though, it's .15, a third of the difference. Yeah. So the gap is is much different. Pass play is shocking. Denver is 14th overall in EPA per pass. The Dolphins are 11th in defense. Well, seven sacks will do that, too. Yes. And what it equates to is basically a draw. In one game. The average the average pass play is minus .03 yeah. favored to Miami. So basically a draw. The running game, however, this is where it gets weird. The Broncos are 11th in expected points added per rush. The Dolphins are 32nd, dead last in the league against the run. Yeah, well. It, which gives it, you, but the, but the funny part is Denver's 11th. To give me an idea of how the, the NFL game moved away from the run, Denver's 11th. Their expected pass, or expected points added per, per rush is negative .03. Nobody runs the ball all that well anymore. Oddly, because Miami's so bad at it, the Broncos, .13 advantage to them when they run. But the gaps are so, we are talking so many similarities between, you talked about the difference, the, the, the Buffs game in Eugene, you believe they have a better chance of winning than the Dolphins. Yes. It's the same problem. Then the Broncos. So have the Broncos team. actually do have the offensive advantage over Miami when their two units are on the field. The problem is that the advantage Miami has is exponentially larger over Denver's than Denver is over right. Miami. And oh, over the total possessions of, of the game, course. it makes it almost impossible for the Broncos to win if they play any way similarly than they have in the first yeah, two weeks. Exactly. And Miami, based on those measures and others, might, through the first two weeks, 
have played better football than any team in the league all the way around. And, you know, Bill Belichick has been burned so often in the past by Tyreek Hill, especially when was with Kansas City, that he did what he has so often I mean, done over the years the club, on but... Sunday night. He took Hill, who is Miami's best offensive player, away. And honestly, the Dolphins really didn't care that much. Uh, they sort of geared things down in the second half after developing a fairly sizable halftime lead. Uh, but they still scored 24 points uh, w- without Tyreek Hill being all that much of a factor. Right. Uh, so they, they have other ways to win. And uh, the one thing I agreed with Vic Fangio on completely while he's here as the head coach, especially on defense, stopping the run or not stopping it, very, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you take the ball away and you most easily mm-hmm. do that by intercepting uh, the ball and you can change a game by sacks or quarterback pressures that lead to some of those takeaways. It, he he really never cared much about what teams did on the ground and I doubt he mm-hmm. does in Miami. He cared he, what the Ravens did. Well, no, he didn't like them <laughs> running the ball <laughs> late to set a record against his defense. But in but see, you're he right. Did not Very rarely nowadays run. are NFL games, and I, this is let, the dirty little run. secret. There let is a run. reason why the the running back now, it, the average NFL running back, is the lowest paid position in the sport, right. lower right. than kicker and punter, lowest. And there's a reason for that because you can go back and look at any NFL week, and you can say this game was decided on the ground. You can't find one. Well, That's it, not really what no, it does no, it, anymore. It, it, it doesn't matter, and uh, it doesn't matter very often. Now, listen, the, the Cleveland Browns lose Nick Chubb to a terrible knee injury. It, he is far and away their best offensive player. And you argued he was the best running back in the best running back football. In the uh, he certainly was last year. I know Josh Jacobs was the rushing champion, and Josh Jacobs almost always has great games against the Broncos, and last year he played against everybody else the way he always played against the Broncos. But the other reason is based on the idea, the other reason that they're not highly paid is that they're extremely vulnerable when it comes to injury. And all you have to do is look at the terrible news uh, of Nick Chubb tearing up his knee on kind of got high load on the Mm -hmm. play and Micah Fitzpatrick, uh, this week has been, I guess, hearing it, at least on social media, about how he caused the injury and it was a dirty play and all, all this. And he he made an altogether sensible point about that. He said, well, if I go high on Nick Chubb, I get concussed. My only chance against a running back of that caliber is to go low and because he was the second man in on right. the tackle, Chubb was in a more vulnerable position to being hit low than he otherwise would have been. So I, I think of Chubb's injury and Saquon Barkley, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it seems like, I mean, there's an outside chance Barkley might even play tonight on a short week against San Francisco. But his ankle injury really looked bad. It almost looked like either, either, and 
a high ankle sprain or maybe torn ligaments or even a broken ankle when they carted him off the field the, the, the other the day. The problem with this too, right? This- but but it, that that's good news. But still, it shows these are two of the best, certainly two of the best five running backs in pro football right now. One will be out for at least a year. And that's on the same knee he's, he's already been hurt before. Injury. Right. And the other was fortunate that it was not a high ankle sprain. And even if he doesn't play tonight, he'll probably, with the extra days to get ready for their fourth game, he'll be able to come back and play at that point. Nick Chubb, who's been to four Pro Bowls, and I actually agree. If you're talking about a guy last year who was the most dynamic, and by the way, how much did that help the Browns win loss record? It's not Nick Chubb's fault. It's the way the game is played right now. You're exactly right. He's made the Pro Bowl four times. He has no guaranteed money left beyond this year. And... Already, some of the reports about Cleveland as well. If they cut him, they get four. We're talking about the guy that oh, ten days ago we're talking about is yeah, the best running the back best in the league. Why would you consider about it? And and it, it, it at one point the problem is in the NFL, it makes the case for both sides. When you had the running backs that were holding out, and by the way, Cream Hunt, one of the ones that was holding out, former Brown, he's yeah, back with the Browns. He's back with the Browns now. But the argument for the the Jacobs of the world, the Barkleys of the yeah. world, the Ezekiel's of the world, uh, prior to that. The Le'Veon Bells of yes. the world. Oh, that's the best. Example. The the argument as to why you should hold out for the for the contract that gives you guaranteed money and protects you a little bit towards injuries. That's the exact argument why. The problem is, it's also the exact argument why. If you're an NFL team, you're like, that's why I'm not going to pay it. And I, that one, I don't know how you fix. And I think what you're seeing more and more is teams are fixing it as best as they can by doing what the Dolphins are doing, where he mostered at 121 yards and two touchdowns. He did it on 18 carries, and he catches a lot of passes. He does. You're starting to see teams less smash their guy into the goal line unless they have to, and more misdirections and more catching passes out of the backfield. The running backs are extraordinary athletes, and you want them in space. Look at the way that the Atlanta Falcons, only two games in, are using B. John Robinson, their brilliant rookie. Look at how many times he they're just brilliant. crashing him into the line. Yeah. It's not very much. They're trying to throw him dump offs. Absolutely. They're trying to run end arounds. They're trying space. to get him into yeah. space where he, and, he's a know, cheat code. Arthur Smith, I believe, of all the coaches in the NFL, uh, Kyle Shanahan's close. I think Harbaugh is close. But Arthur Smith, is a great coach for a running back. He, he's certainly top five uh, if he isn't the best coach. And it, it's interesting because he's kind of a positionless coach. That's his offensive philosophy. I, I don't want to hear about wideouts. I don't want to hear about halfbacks. I don't want to hear about H-backs, uh, tight ends. They're, they're all interchangeable. And one of the issues now is that they have players, including Kyle Pitts, who may not be getting the ball as much because right. they have all these positionless players. Did, did Cordero Patterson even dress last week? I'm <laughs> not sure he was. And he was one of the guys in the, in the early process, a positionless but he player. Was the posi- now they got a better one, though. Before before you could change all the numbers, now they, they had a number 84 one. running running yeah. back. Because exactly. He, I mean, exactly. his grandfather did. And, and, and I find Atlanta to be fascinating because now they have a real defense 
for the first time in ages, and I include 2016, when their defense was primarily responsible for blowing a 28-3 lead at the Super Bowl mm-hmm. late third quarter against the New England Patriots. This defense they have now wouldn't do that. They, they have a good defense, and they're one of the teams, and Baltimore was another one, although Baltimore now with Monken as the offensive coordinator, the old Georgia offensive coordinator, and by the way, our old friend Mike Bobo is now the new Georgia offensive That's coordinator right. uh, this year. Back where he was before. Yeah, back where he was before. Um, but Monken has made Baltimore more wide open. And and Roman was there with with the emphasis on, on the run. And the more that you produced the record that Vic Fangio didn't like and the more you being do set that. against his team. But Monken's opened things up mm-hmm. and they still lost their best running back to a torn Achilles tendon on a grass field in week one. So I, I, you know, here's a team trying to get away from the bruising, smash-mouth style football, and they still lose their best running back in the first week of the season on a grass field to a torn Achilles tendon. It's, <laughs> you know, you, you just you feel, I feel for running backs. Yeah, I'm like you. I don't know what to do about it because there are arguments as to why you shouldn't pay them. I, I go back to Le'Veon Bell, which is the best example, and the, the, the beginning of the end for Adam Gase as head coach of the New York Jets came when he uh, quite clearly expressed his objections to the Jets signing Le'Veon Bell. And Adam Gase was obviously not right about everything. He's been a head coach twice, and he ended up getting fired twice. But he was right about that. And the Jets still went ahead and made the move over his objections. And he had won previous power struggles. He lost that one. And he was right, but he ended up losing his job, largely because the Jets signed Le'Veon Bell and paid him a whole lot of money. But Le'Veon Bell was probably actually wise to hold out and not get hit with any any guaranteed money available left. And that's the problem. Well, Mike McDaniel is at the vanguard of the league's scheme. He's and design, and one of the reasons that they're being as successful as they are has to do with the way running backs are used, because eventually it matters to the quarterback. I'll explain next on Mile High Sports. More with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. We'll dig more into this on a football Friday tomorrow. And by the way, uh, we talked about, yeah, we don't shy away from it. We can talk about bets. Uh, 5 p.m. tomorrow, our, our friend Nate Lundy will pop in and we'll talk about some uh, some football Excellent. Uh, weekend action for those of you who uh, partake, which, you know... Uh, might include me. It will be. By might, I mean it does. It will be a huge college football set. Oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll talk a lot about that. And um, uh, I was uh, talking with some friends uh, today. Uh, we're going to have to go someplace uh, because we were in uh, Birmingham, Tuscaloosa last year. 
for Alabama, Texas A&M, and this year in Fort Worth for CU, TCU. Don't say we. I was here. We, I didn't get to go. Well, no, I said friends. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Surely I'm jesting. Surely I'm jesting. Surely I'm jesting. Um, now. And I'm out. Uh, no, I'm just, Who would have imagined, who would have imagined in week, I guess this is week four, right, in the college football season, Mm -hmm. Alabama is playing at home against Ole Miss. Am I right about that, or is it Mississippi State? Uh, Ole Miss. Yeah, it is Ole Miss. Miss. Thank you, Danny. Game starts at 1.30. CU at Oregon Mm -hmm. starts at 1.30. Right. Both games will be telecast. Yes. Which game do you think will get the higher rating? Well, the funny thing is, you're talking about the top 25s. There's three, Sandy, because on Fox, CBS is getting Ole Miss, Alabama. That's 15 to 13. The Buffaloes are 19 against Oregon, 10 on ABC. Same time on Fox, 22, UCLA takes on 11, Utah. All with 130. PM locally. And by far the highest rated game will be CU at by far. Oregon. It's not even by close. Far. By far. They will blot out Isn't the sun. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that an Alabama game, now Alabama is not Alabama They're this year. It's the first time still, in, you know, 55 years they've been ranked outside of the top 10 this week as they were yeah. at number 11. Okay? They, they so still I, they, don't they, they suck. Like, but they're still but pretty good. This is Alabama. <laughs> and they're playing Ole Miss in what should actually be a fairly intriguing game. And uh, it, Two friends I'm talking about, one happens to be an Alabama fan, the other's a big CU fan, and, you know, they're arguing about where we're going to go, but they both agree on one thing. They say we have to go to a place where we can watch both games. All three the CU guy watch the CU game, and the Alabama guy watch the Alabama guy, and, and and I'll be watching both games at once, which is never advisable. Yeah, yeah, I probably just have to never let you, probably have to no, let I'll, Utah I'll watch, slide, even honestly, though Utah and UCLA honestly, are both I'll, unbeaten. I'll, I'll, I'll watch I'll watch CU. But we'll, we'll dig I'll into watch this. I'll watch CU in Oregon just like most other people will. Definitely more tomorrow. CU. So it's almost, this is almost like a little, little uh, you know, appetite. You know, we'll give you a little appetizer for tomorrow. But part of the things we talked about with running backs. Yeah. And how we're seeing coaches get clever with schemes, trying to keep them out of harm's way as best as possible. Well, Miami's been doing the running back by committee thing for a, a while now. Yeah. Oh, sure. And, yeah, I know fantasy players hate it. I get that. But there are reasons for NFL teams to do it. And nobody's doing it better than Mike McDaniel. And part of the reason you talked about how they won, even though Tyreek Hill was kind of at least as neutralized as Tyreek Hill gets. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, it was. It what was you're seeing from guy. McDaniel. And and you talked about I was working with the Ravens again. Now, what in theory? What's what's the flaw in Lamar Jackson's game? Pass accuracy. Right? Yeah. Okay. I suppose. But see, when you start having positionless offensive players, right. right? Whether your running backs are lined up out wide, or you're or you're running, or you're say you're you're Kyle Shanahan running Debo Samuel multiple times a game. Sure. All of a sudden, when it doesn't matter if you're wide receiver or your running back is in the backfield or out wide. Well, guess what you're doing? Now you're giving the defense a lot of fits. You'll also notice with Miami's offense, with the exception of, but again, we've talked about the yards for Hill. Fewer after the catch than usual, but this is an after the catch guy. Is Brock Purdy out there throwing bombs all day? Of course not. Is Lamar Jackson out there throwing bombs all day? Is Tua Tagovailoa throwing bombs all day? No. Not See, really. what we're learning about this 
quarter, becoming as the league gets more quote unquote positionless among what we used to call the skill players, offensive linemen rightly have a beef with that argument. It means that the type of quarterback you have can be a lot different than your prototypes. What you're looking for is quick decision making, accuracy, and at least some mobility. And if yes. you look, uh, it, uh, even though there are three very different athletes, the one I, the ones I just listed, Lamar Jackson, Tagovailoa, and Brock Purdy, all of them at least have that in the short range. Jackson's actually a rather accurate short passer. So now, when you're splitting guys out, when you're moving guys around, and if you go watch a Miami Dolphins game, you're going to watch a lot of interesting misdirection. But it's not what you think about. You're not seeing the long. Guys in motion that come from all the way around the outside. What you're seeing is guys coming in motion from more or less the same side of their offensive line. Right. And they're just moving from lined up against against the tight end to sliding outside. You're not seeing the big distraction, which nobody falls for that anyway for the most part, right? What you're seeing is a scheme from McDaniel that is where the NFL is going. And it means that quarterbacks like Tango Vailoa can succeed at a remarkable level. His release, time to throw, is oh. 2.35, the lowest in the league. Yeah, His pressure rate is 14%. You want to know what that is? I'll sneak peek. Lowest. His sack rate, 7%. You want to know what right. that is? Lowest. Yeah. That's the new NFL offense. That's that, where that, this that's is right. going. And uh, another point, which we, we may get into tomorrow in terms of the quarterbacks, the week one average age for starting quarterback was the youngest on opening mm-hmm. day since 1957. Yep. When there were 12 teams in the league. And I will overnight get those 12 quarterbacks out. You could uh, figure you had them all memorized figure, already. No, I, I, I didn't go that far yet. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, a lot of this has to do with the idea that uh, the Palmers and the Smiths, uh, Eli Manning, Rivers, Breeze, Roethlisberger, Ryan Brady have all retired fairly recently. Yeah, but so, but of course, the position was going to get younger, but that but that ties in with your point about younger guys tending to be more mobile. And we can and you can see you into success. Into success, and uh, yes, there 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 is a price to be paid with even first round draft picks having to start right away. And maybe even a physical price when it comes to Richardson of right. uh, the Indianapolis Colts, who's been at two separate injuries in his first two games. Uh, but that's why quarterbacks are playing right away now. There's no two or three year waiting period as there was with Aaron Rodgers. Coaches scheme, scheme their offense to most fit recently. Them. Yeah, yeah. And as recently as 15 years ago. That really didn't happen all that often. And it it probably it probably hurt some guys, actually. Uh, no doubt. Uh, it, 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 that they didn't get to play sooner. But I, 1957 stood out because the season began in 1957, about a week after I was born. 
that's how so far that's why back you, you don't. Have to that's go. why you don't have that one. I'll memorize it. Okay, I get that. But but that'll bring us up for Friday because yeah, the NFL is changing, and the team the Denver Broncos are playing are right at the tip of the proverbial spear. Oh, just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> that's not just what you wanted when you're zero and two and have the thirty first ranked defense and expected points added per play. Well, we'll see what we can find. We have another, you know. 22 hours to figure out something positive for you. Thanks for listening. Whether Happy it's FM, yeah, it's FM HD radio, whether you are checking us out on mylysports.com or even making it easy on yourself with the Miley sports app. Appreciate that. Thanks to Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette. Hey, the app, app season's here. They're playing on Sunday folks. So we'll be talking more about them as it comes along too, because well, they're not Owen two yet or maybe even three by the time we get back on monday well we'll be back before then we'll be back tomorrow for danny bailey and sandy clough i'm sean drotar we will be back but we have to step away for right now you however keep it easy don't even mess with it just leave it right here on my life sports